Hello and welcome to Everyday Medicine. I'm Dr. Luke and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this podcast series where we share conversations with colleagues exploring their special interests in medicine and bringing insights, ideas and advice which I hope will be applicable for our medical practices. In this podcast, we're talking with an expert on the subject of interventional radiology. Interventional radiology is an innovative and rapidly growing medical profession which allows radiologists a combination of clinical interaction, procedural work, and imaging. It's an exciting area of modern medicine delivering precise, targeted treatment for complex diseases and conditions throughout the body. Interventional radiologists are able to integrate across a variety of specialty interests, including gastroenterology, vascular surgery, neurosurgery, oncology, pain management, gynecology, and many others, and have been able to pioneer and deliver treatment techniques utilising cutting-edge technology such as MRI and CT, as well as fluoroscopy, ultrasound, and plain X-ray. The scope of practice includes biliary intervention, cholecystostomy, chemo and radioembolization of tumours, radiofrequency ablation, cryoablation and microwave ablation, balloon angioplasty and vascular stenting, aneurysm repair, embolization, for example, of the uterine artery, uh, fibroids, and pulmonary arteriovenous malformations, as well as catheter-directed thrombolysis, placement of IVC filters, dialysis-related interventions, central venous catheter placement, percutaneous nephrostomy placement, ureteral stent placement, celiac axis nerve blocks, spinal blocks, and many, many more. Well, interventional radiology will increasingly play a major role in the future of modern medicine, delivering cost-effective minimally invasive treatments with shorter procedural and recovery times, and in some cases, better patient-focused outcomes than maybe many surgical alternatives. On this podcast, I was curious to expand my knowledge about the wonderful world of IR and welcome interventional radiologist Dr. Yen Cheng to join us, covering many of the areas mentioned above. Yen has bailed many of us out whilst facing difficult clinical conundrums on more than one occasion with his amazing but measured skills and enthusiasm. Please welcome Yen to the podcast. Yen Cheng, welcome to Everyday Medicine. Thank you for coming and talking with me about interventional radiology again. Uh, You know, we've been calling upon you for a lot of assistance, particularly in my field in gastroenterology when we've failed uh, stenting, biliary stenting, and without actually any failures to date, you have succeeded in, so you're kind of like, you are like the the commando. You're like the commando. (laughs) You know, when we really need something done, and we're not able to, to do it, you know, you come in and help. But I'd like to talk a bit about your role in gastroenterology, but also the more broad role of interventional radiology, which I think perhaps isn't completely appreciated by by uh, us in the medical profession widely. Uh, so I'm really excited about talking with you about what interventional radiologists do. Before we launch into that, can you give me a little bit of your background, your journey to this point? Tell, tell us how you got here. Yeah, um, well, uh, look, uh, thanks for inviting me. Um, I'm, I was trained in the New Zealand, and um, be frank, uh, when I was in medical school, that uh, interventional radiology or even diagnostic radiology wasn't even something crossed my mind. I was lining up myself to actually do plastic surgery. While I was doing that, uh, we ended up uh, having you know, a 
lot of the complication that we need to go down to the radiology department to the, get the yeah, so the, uh, the procedures are organized. And that's the time that I saw, hang on, there's something really interesting about this, you know, the procedural the radiology part that I have never come across. And then so the more I dig into there, the more I feel like, hey, this is something that I really want to explore because they are doing very minimal invasive procedures, but they can achieve quite a lot. So um, I eventually uh, decided to ditch my uh, plastic surgery you know, as a pathway and uh, turn to uh, radiology. So radiology uh, training is about uh, five years. Um, that's pretty much the uh, majority of the time is uh, diagnostic radiology, but uh, we still do a fair bit of like, uh, basic uh, you know, biopsy and stuff like that. The angio, the uh, more interventional part, Part of it, um, I actually don't need to do another year or two of uh, interventional fellowship, which I did in the Auckland City Hospital. And then uh, I then uh, moved to a, another hospital, which uh, is about uh, an hour and a half drive uh, south of Auckland, and uh, that is uh, Waikato Hospital. It's uh, quite a, a tertiary referral center. It's a, a, um, a trauma center as well. So I spent about a four and a half years there before I moved across the ditch and uh, now I'm working uh, at uh, part-time at Monash and uh, part-time with uh, I'm at Radiology and that's the time that uh, we uh, cross our path uh, when uh, we're operating uh, on the same day on Monday. <laughs> well, the, ditch, the ditch being the Tasman Sea of course. Uh, I didn't think anyone lives anywhere south of Auckland. I think thought the whole population of New Zealand was in Auckland. So it's just sheep all the way down. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sheep ends are sulfur and volcanoes. <laughs> uh, well, you know, you're you're kind of renowned as the as the magician. So you are kind of renowned as the magician of interventional radiology. And our our guy that we go to to ask for assistance when we're having difficulties in biliary work. So I would like to start by asking you the sort of the sort of gastroenterological angles that you're coming from. T- tell us a little bit about what you can offer there in terms of what you do for gastroenterology, hepatology, and so forth? Yeah, so um, basically, you know, it's like uh, when, uh, when you guys are doing the ERCP, they're coming from the uh, from below um, to unblock a blurry system. That's, uh, there's always ways uh, to approach the, uh, um, uh, the conditions. And sometimes when uh, you can't uh, come from below, then so we, uh, we can't uh, offer... Um, pretty much, you know, it's like a direct uh, puncture through the uh, the liver and to target the uh, the duct. I put it, the analogy would be like that you have to back through the back door and then uh, go to, into the front door and open up the front door for, for you. And quite often that's because um, when you come from the mouth and you need to make it, you know, it's like a, a lot of a turn, sometimes the, uh, it's quite difficult to, uh, to achieve you know, the, the blockage. So when we come from the above and just go straight through the uh, the liver, um, we get a shorter you know distance and we can achieve. Uh, we, you know, we've got a much better pushability and uh, and and that's why that's uh, most of the time that's uh, uh, when uh, you guys are stuck um, uh, in the kind of uh, limbo, then uh, then uh, give us a call and. Uh, um, we uh, we we sometimes can offer you the you know some help uh, the other end and so we both have done this uh, rendezvous procedures that uh, we meet uh, in the midpoint 
and uh, that's how we cross our path. But I think uh, that patient will achieve quite a good result. Right? You get a great result. So yeah. that, that rendezvous procedure is not something we used to start off doing that a lot. I'd say with radiologists when we had trouble maybe 18, 20 years ago. But now, in general, we don't need to do the rendezvous. You're able to achieve the stenting without any assistance from the interluminal side. Uh, but from your perspective, you need some duct dilation to access the ducts or not specifically so? What do we need to sort of have before we should be referring them to you? Yeah, so uh, usually, um, you know, so when we do, do that uh, with ultrasounds, that the duct has to uh, be dilated to certain degrees that uh, we can see it with uh, ultrasound. And quite often that we do this uh, under the anesthetic so that uh, we can control the breathing. And, uh, you know, it's like uh, we're talking about uh, sometimes you're talking about ducts that is like uh, one or two millimeters um, um, uh, in caliber. And that's uh, pretty much, uh, that's what I always tell my fellow. That's the ultimate test of your ultrasound skill. That's, uh, you know, it's like a one millimeter away from there, you might be hitting the vessels. So, uh, Yes, to certain degrees that uh, we need to have the ducts uh, a little bit dilated uh, so that you know, like, uh, we can guide the needle into uh, the, the duct. Um, we have done some procedures that um, does not have uh, quite dilated ducts, especially like uh, some of the ducts are, uh, are quite uh, uh, sclerose. So they, they tend not to be too dilated. And uh, in that kind of situation, so we flick back to our previous mode of uh, pretty much just direct puncture. And then uh, and as you pull back the needle, then you puff a little bit of contrast and it'll start to, uh, you will traverse through some of the ducts for sure. But uh, that also means that, you know, it's like uh, we might not see the vessels and uh, increase the risk of uh, bleeding. So uh, either way, this yeah, is it's doable. But uh, in the, this DNA, we uh, tend to use the ultrasound to, to do the, the procedures. What about the lift system? Uh, are targeting the lift system a little bit more difficult? Uh, how do you find that if you have to send the left hepatic system versus the right? No, the left and right are pretty much similar from our end. So in terms of getting access to it, and um, it doesn't really, you know, it's like a, with my last 10 years of experience of doing this, uh, doesn't really uh, give me any, you know, like a benefit of either doing the left side or right. So we'll pretty much just target uh, whichever side that is, is occluded. Um, so uh, it's, it's much easier. I know that uh, from your your uh, your point of view, if you come from the below, because uh, the ducts uh, tends to go to the right side. So the, you know, it's like uh, you might find that uh, going to the left ones it might be difficult. But uh, we, as I said before, that uh, we come from the uh, you know the, through the liver and directly straight into there. So um, the, uh, the the pushability of the wire and the catheter is actually uh, we have got much more control and so much easier to, uh, uh, for us uh, to do it that way. So uh, either either way, you know, so in terms of the crossing or stenting, is uh, is equally you know, like, uh, it is not like a one is easier than the other. But what about other other things that you do in regard to the liver? Are you involved in uh, management of malignancies uh, targeted? therapy there is that something that you do personally or that you group do? yeah at, uh, at monitor we do a fair bit of uh, the hepatocellular carcinoma uh, um, of the liver so to, uh, we do the taste and uh, also to, we do to, um, a microwave ablation as well so to taste pretty much uh, we use the chemo that we use the lopado and uh, dr rubison 
And so we pretty much, you know, it was like a do a, a targeted uh, a study to find the vessels, the uh, hepatic artery brightness. Usually, it tends to um, you know, opacify the lesion. And then, so then to, that through the, uh, the a little tiny little catheter, that so we can deliver localized uh, chemotherapy to that uh, 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 to the tumor. And uh, for those that are smaller in size, that we also do the microwave ablation. So uh, just uh, think about you know that so we that we literally just uh, deliver a the needle that can uh, uh, cook it to about like eighty degrees. So that's to promote the cell death. So instead of having a um, a surgery like a a, a, a sector, um, you know, so a surgery you take out a sector, a segment, or um, you know, it's like a, you do a the hemi the hepatectomy. Um, nowadays, uh, what we tend to do is we just ablate the uh, the area that's uh, um, that we think is uh, is is the HCC. And um, and there we go. Then um, uh, patients that walk out of the hospital are usually the second day or the day after. Yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of sort of therapeutic armor, armor that you have there. So you're addressing biliary strictures, uh, you're addressing tumors by different methods, uh, taste and also uh, microwave. Yes. Do, do you get much uh, bleeding or the potential necrosis of tumors? The, the complications that you see as a consequence of that microwave ablation. Yeah, the microwave, we don't get that much of a bleeding because we use thermal to to, uh, to ablate. So uh, I tend not to, and we sometimes end up, uh, you know, it's like a, any procedures will uh, be associated with uh, some degree of a complications. But uh, bleeding is not typically that we see. We tend to see, you know, it's like a thermal ablate that we take out even more area. Sometimes we have to traverse. Uh, into a deeper uh, uh, segment, and uh, when we're doing that, we might burn the uh, uh, the vessels supplying the another uh, segment. So um, I've seen you know something like that before. That's uh, you know it's like uh, we target one segment of uh, one lesion, but they end up to take out another uh, segment because of that. Uh, whereas the bleeding uh, tends to be less likely because we cauterize the tract as we pull the needle out, so um, mm-hmm. so it tends to be less likely. Um, they tend some some of them might end up with um, with a little bit of uh, infections uh, to the ablation zone, so that so they might end up with a liver abscess. So uh, I tend to give them a, a prophylactic shot of uh, antibiotics uh, right before uh, we start the procedure. Well, thank you for t- touching based on the gastroenterological uh, aspects of interventional. Let's talk a bit about vascular. T- tell us a bit about your role in vascular intervention. You've got <laughs> embolization, aneurysm management. There's a lot of things you guys do again. Yeah. So, to, yeah, our, our path are pretty much across with the uh, the vascular surgeon as well. So, uh, but, you know, it's like uh, uh, what we do uh, again to balloons and uh, angioplasty. Or the, when there's the bleeding, there's the we embolize. So I pretty much tell a lot of my juniors that uh, yeah, we're literally like a plumber. If there's any leakage, we to fix it. If there's any blockage, we unblock it. So uh, um, especially you know, like uh, the um, like a bleeder, uh, you know, so it can be ranging from the possible bleeding. It can be uh, because of patient have a diverticular disease and end up with a GI bleed. And that's a quite a typical uh, scenario that uh, we get a call in the middle of the night and uh, you know, patients just hosing out. 
And uh, so, uh, again, you know, it's like uh, this is uh, uh, something that I always tell my fellows that it's also an ultimate test of your catheter skill because we're talking about, you know, trying to guide a catheter, which is about like 120 or even 150 centimeter into the vessels that that's uh, about, uh, you know, it's like a, a one or two millimeters uh, in diameter and they put a coils in there. So um, what we try to do is that uh, we try to be very selective uh, with, uh, with the vessels that we want to, uh, to take out. So, um, you know, so they, uh, they involve a lot of, uh, of skills uh, using the, uh, the machines. Um, so uh, we have to learn how to uh, uh, triangulate and uh, try to uh, visualize the, the vessels. So it's, uh, you, you kind of like a hand-eye coordination that needs to be quite this sleek with this as well. Um, so, uh, so that's the, the coiling part. And, uh, can I ask, and, uh, can I ask yes. you there too about the coil? Just describe what is that device exactly? Yeah, the coil is actually to nothing more than to just a, a small little the metals that uh, they sit in the vessels. Now, the vessel, uh, there's a different types of coils. Some of them, uh, they have got a different shape. So they, they can look like a, a tornado. And in fact, we've got a, a coil that's, uh, that's called tornado. And then so there's another one that look like a diamond shape. It's, uh, you know, it's a vortex or diamond. And so some of them that looks like it's just the, the little spring in your the mechanical pan that, uh, you know, that sits inside there. Yeah. So we push them out, and so what it does is, uh, to a certain degree, it causes mechanical obstruction, but some of them also has got some uh, fur that's uh, also the thrombogenic. So that means that it promotes a clot forming. So we pretty much have put something in there that uh, also mm-hmm. induces the clot forming. It's thrombogenic. And so we right. just use, yeah. yeah. So we use like a, the, the patient's body, to, you know, like a clotting system to, to promote the clot and then to, to block off the, the system. And, um, and that, that, you know, like it will help uh, with uh, controlling the bleeding. Yeah. A, in relation to referral, someone who's having a bleed, a particular bleed, often we'll try and just manage them conservatively, but it, it will get to a point where maybe we're thinking of surgery, or do we refer to interventional? Yes, we'll go interventional, uh, probably our first choice in many instances if it's available, yes. and you're generally available, thank you. Uh, what, is it, what is it that you're looking at where you might say, when you're doing the angiogram, I don't think this is going to be possible? Is, is, is there a, a point where you're saying we're going to have to go back surgically here? Yeah, so um, a lot of the, uh, the factors that would uh, determine whether an embolization is feasible or not, one of them is, you know, um, is the degree of uh, calcifications. And if uh, the origin of the, you know, typically the SMA or the IMA, uh, are very calcified, then so you know that you're hitting walls that uh, you won't be able to cannulate that if, if the patient is uh, uh, is quite sick and uh, is crashing, then it's uh, better off that, uh, you know, it's like the surgeons to go in there because we know that we probably will be just struggling. Um, but uh, having a, a really good uh, CT, the CTA, it will tell us exactly where it is bleeding from. And so we always tell people that, you know, it's like uh, when this is the bleeder there, that we need to do multi-phase. The reason why, because we can compare the arterial phase and the portal venous phase, and you see the amount of blood that's, uh, that comes up. So that's what we call arterial blush. So if we see a lot of the, the, the volume that comes up, that's quite significant, then we know that this patient is heading towards a crashing the kind of scenario, then uh, we uh, pretty much would need to act on them pretty swiftly. 
So, uh, so that is a very single, the most important factors uh, to that uh, uh, for us uh, to decide whether it is a go ahead or not. And also, to, it depends on the where the vessels are. Uh, the majority of the vessels, the branches of the SMA or the IMA, we we could uh, yeah, achieve them. I would say that uh, you know, so the distal the rectal region that will be very difficult for us to go down that path. Whereas uh, from the surgeon point of view, it's much easier for him to come out uh, from the per-rectal uh, approach. That's the, uh, even a uh, you know, rigid SIGI, uh, they, they might be able to see that relatively easily. Yeah. So that if that's the case, then that we tend to that let them, you know, we tend to tell them, hey, why don't you get a surgeon involved? And because uh, that is the area that's uh, very difficult for us to go that, that far down in there. Yen, once you've deployed a coil, uh, what is your probability of success? Is is it close to one hundred percent success in controlling uh, bleeding? Yeah, I would say so because the coils are small enough that uh, you know they've got coils that are literally just like a a, a small little wire, so that can go into the vessels that are less than one mil. The one that I usually use is about uh, two mils to three mils uh, that the, the tornadoes, uh, which kind of like a, you know, like a, 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 like the tornado oh. shape that it plucks it on. And, uh, you know, it's like if we did drop one that is still going, then so usually we take out a, a little bit longer segments of that. When we drop the coil, we probably want to make sure that I'm not in a very uh, a bigger branch. I'm actually very subselective into that single vessel that is bleeding them. You know, so that and so it depends on so whether the vessel is the end vessel. Or it is uh, vessels that uh, you know it has got a front door and back door because then you have to close the back door. Otherwise, uh, the uh, the collaterals are from the uh, celiac trunk and uh, you know the IMA or SMA they can actually bleed from the other side. So um, I would say that most of the time that uh, we, uh, you know if if I see active bleeder on the table and uh, I probably will be able to you know like uh, target them to relatively comfortably. Yeah. What's the risk of infarction with that? If it's an investor, it's relatively low. Yeah. If, if it is like a, 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 a single one, that because, uh, you know, so over the last 10 years, that's a yes, we always send the patient that there's a risk of, you know, like a ischemia and bar in infarct. But uh, I haven't heard any patients that uh, come back to me that uh, bring to my attention that they end up needing to go for a, a surgery. I think, you know, it's like because of, as I usually try to, to chase down to the very single vessel that is blocking, yeah, that, that is the, the one that's, uh, uh, that's uh, bleeding, that uh, we take out that single one. A small little segment is still okay because uh, quite often that when we do the final run, we see that even though you feel like uh, your, your coils that uh, accidentally to take out another branch, but uh, you can see that there's, a, that there's some flows from the other end to perfuse the, uh, the bar relatively okay. So uh, as long as we know that, you know, that, that we are subselectively choosing the, the, uh, the, the very vessel and uh, we achieve relatively good results, yeah. Yeah, and one of the exciting things that's, uh, that's evolved over the last, uh, I guess, 15 years or so is clot retrieval. And it's made a yes. massive difference to uh, the morbidity and uh, recovery of people who've had strokes. Are you involved in clot retrieval 
Uh, as well. um, no, the, the uh, cod retrievals are done by the uh, neuro-interventional the radiologist, and uh, they um, their training is even uh, longer than uh, our uh, preferred uh, uh, IR training. So they have to do two years of uh, of the training, and uh, yeah, they um, they are a little bit separate from uh, what we are doing in the periphery. And a lot of them are actually they are dual trained. Some of them, you know, it's like they do peripheral first, and then they find out, hey, I want to do further more, and then therefore they specialize in neurointerventional. Yeah, but from our point of view, that that actually makes a good point. That's you know, it's like we do thrombolysis as well. And I just want a very good, very very good example of a patient that when I was on call at Monash had a, uh, a cardiac arrest in the community. When the patients came to the door, they did a CTPA and they found out the patient had massive, massive PE. Is a patient that do or die. So uh, they say, can you uh, put a catheter there to, uh, to do thrombolysis or mechanical thrombectomy? That means that we just put a catheter in there to, uh, to suck out uh, some clots in there. So uh, again, you know, so like at that case, I remember I got calling in the middle of the night and so went in there. You can't see anything more than see a main pulmonary arterial trunk. Um, so uh, what I did was uh, went in there and said, now look, if we don't do anything, the patient's probably going to die. And so what we did was uh, I used um, only like um, five milligrams of uh, TPA uh, into both uh, pulmonary arterial trunk. And so even then, so it uh, melts the clot away. And uh, yes, I probably uh, got back about uh, forty or fifty percent of the uh, of the uh, the vessels. But um, you know what? Five days later, the patient actually walked out of ICU and yeah, discharged home. That's why you got congestion. Tell us about gynecology. Uh, you do. Things here that I I was very intrigued to hear about embolization of fibroids and fallopian tube flossing, pelvic congestion works. Tell us a bit about that. What, what that seems like an emerging field. Yeah, that, that is something that uh, I think you know. It's like uh, we've been now to, uh, talking about uh, women's health and men's health, and uh, this part of the fibro embolization is is uh, some is something that has been there for years. That. Uh, you know, the frank, the interventionals that uh, we exist uh, yeah, when the radiology, you know, diagnostic radiology exists as well. So, uh, you know, so we were there before, we were like a dinosaur there before the uh, cardiologists and now that they, they do the, the injury that used to be, you know, like uh, many, many, many years ago that's it's done by the interventional radiologists. Now, it's, uh, now come back to the fibroids and, 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 um, a lot of the patients, you know, like and that's what we got to refer to. They've got the large fibroids. They've got pains. They've got the heavy periods. And so, what uh, sometimes the gynecologists want us to do is to uh, to do embolization to string the fibroids. And some of them are even prepared for surgery, but then they say that the fibroids are too large for us uh, for them to take out uh, mm-hmm. uh, laparoscopically. And so, what we do is is very just simple procedures. Uh, we just uh, we go and find the uh, uterine artery, and uh, we uh, inject uh, um, some particles. So, particles is a type of embolics. Embolics very much just means that there's something that you you know so that flows in the vessels that it, it blocks off uh, the vessels. And so, so what we do is that we inject something like really like fine sand 
and so it goes into and blocks up the arterioles. So the one we that try to achieve there is to achieve the ischemia to the fibroids because they are growing and so they are big, and that's why they choke when the, we blocked up the, uh, the the supply to the uh, uterine artery. And then so we string the fibroids. And sometimes a patient after the treatments they say, "Hey, you know what?" Uh, you know, I feel better, and so we might not need to the uh, uh, the hysterectomy uh, to uh, to help with the symptom. So that's one that, part. That's of it. incredible. So that sand, yeah. like material you're referring to, rather than a coil, because you don't want to uh, induce uh, a sudden infarction of the fibroid. You're trying to induce ischemia and stunt the growth. Is that right? Uh, no, the the, um, the the coils are like when you when you put a coils in the vessels, that means that you know it's like uh, you you close the front door, yes. and uh, sometimes uh, they might have other uh, collaterals that uh, supply the uh, um, the end organs. So, right. so what we try to do here is uh, we use the particle first to block off the, the little tiny little arterioles, and then mm-hmm. we slowly to try to because we know that we want to block off the uh, the vessels down to the level of the arterioles. So uh, we use the tiny little sands so they come into different microns. And then so we slowly build it up there and using you know, the, the bigger one and the bigger one. And eventually, we close off frontal with, the, uh, with coils. Then so you know that uh, the entire system that uh, is, uh, it's, it's uh, you know, so all the embolizer. Yeah, You're doing all of, that, all of that at one session, or are you talking about multiple sessions of treatment? No, usually we do that at once. So it's, uh, if we're treating like a large fibroids, then, uh, then we, we do it on off sites because uh, sometimes you'll be surprised that one site um, is uh, you know supplying the most of the, the, the fibroid while the other side is just you know like uh, supplying the, the minority of them. So uh, we, we do it in one go. Yeah. Is, is uh, necrosis again there and uh, infection, pyometra, are they issues that you sometimes see as consequences of that or that the gynecologists have to manage subsequent to that? Yeah, well, that, that is a, these are very good questions because um, the uh, um, at the moment, uh, the uh, because we don't have admitting rights, that uh, most of the patients are managed and admitted under the gynecology the team to, to manage. First of all, they are literally having heart attack immediately after the embolization. So, so they need to be on PCA, they need to be on say, a, a full uh, uh, cocktail of uh, pain uh, medications just to get over the ischemic pain. And uh, again, so, you know, it's like uh, the next day or the day after, they, they're relatively okay to, uh, to go home. Um, now, they also they have, a, have a risk of uh, uh, ending up being infected, just like the, uh, you know, the liver, the ablations, the patients that we do. Um, but so not that, you know, we do see that, uh, you know, it's like infrequently they come back with uh, infections, but uh, that is something that, you know, so we know that uh, they're associated with uh, this kind of procedures. Uh, not often we see, but uh, we do, uh, we do uh, sometimes see them um, because of, you know, it's like a, uh, of, of ischemia or infarct to the organs. So, tell, uh, tell us about the flossing as you do. That sounds exciting as well. Yeah, that, that is something very interesting. Now to uh, watch this place because, um, you know, we do a lot of uh, uh, SSG, so hysterosalpingogram. Now what, what we do is uh, nothing more than just, you know, inserting a, a small little tube with a little balloon and to take pictures of the uterine cavity and also see the patency of the fallopian tube. 
And so, you know, so quite often that when we inject enough, that's uh, we dislodge uh, some of the, uh, the debris uh, blocking the fallopian tubes. And uh, and uh, some of the uh, gynecologists uh, uh, like us to do them because then uh, it might increase, you know, the uh, uh, the chances of them, uh, uh, you know, so having the tubes uh, becomes a patent again. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, uh, at times that uh, we can't uh, do anything, despite the fact that you know that so we use pressures to uh, um, to to try to unblock it. So that's uh, the interventional radiologist, and now this is what we can do. Um, instead of uh, just using pressure, what we can do is that we use a tiny little wires to go to, into the fallopian tubes. And so the wire that we use are very, uh, very small. And so they, they are like a zero, uh, 0.014 inch. So it's a very tiny little wire that uh, we pretty much just push it and it will go through the, uh, the fallopian tubes uh, to the other side. So it's, uh, those that uh, debris that uh, um, uh, blocked inside there, that can't be pushed by the using the conventional to high pressure you know, the injections. And you can do that uh, by the, doing the flossing. So, uh, you know, it's another way to, to approach this uh, fertility issue, issues. So, uh, in a way that uh, we, at least it can help the women that, you know, like having uh, fertility issues, that, uh, you know, so at least we can uh, try to unblock the, uh, the block tubes. Fantastic. So, um, yeah. That's, well, thanks for that insight. The, the other, perhaps the last thing I just wanted to, to, to ask you a little bit about is that pain management has become a phenomenally big affair, uh, yes. it seems, in this country, probably overseas as well, when we're talking about spinal injections, celiac plexus blocks. Can you just mention a few things there? Is this something that you, as interventional radiologists, tend to be asked to assist with? Yeah, well, to be frank, the spinal injection, epidural injection, transforming other injections, and the cervical spinal injections, uh, um, basically, they are actually done by the, a lot of the diagnostic uh, radiologists. So they are musculoskeletal injections. Um, but um, because of the, uh, the modern technologies, that uh, now we can use a CT to help us uh, to guide the needles very precisely into the area. We're talking about millimeter precisions. Uh, when I'm doing, uh, doing the uh, ablations uh, using CT, I'm also doing millimeter uh, position. We have to hit like bull eyes of the uh, uh, the liver lesions. Likewise, the spinal injections there, you know, it's like uh, we can't uh, achieve relatively, uh, uh, you know, like accurate in needle positions by using CT and in a very, very short amount of time that we can do that. So that, that's why you know, like we 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 we've been doing this a lot in the uh, the private uh, clinic, and uh, select plexus block is uh, is more uh, the kind of a block that we do for palliative. And I have got uh, interest in uh, palliative uh, pain management, and uh, quite often that you know um, when they ask us to do the uh, select plexus block, that pretty much means that we have to bring our needles. Uh, and next to the uh, celiac uh, uh, trunk origins, and uh, you know, it's like if you do that, uh, you can do it under the um, your EUS and put a scope down there, and then uh, do, do, uh, using ultrasound and uh, and try to guide a needle, and uh, or on the uh, the pain underneath it is uh, sometimes to do that under fluoroscopic guidance. Um, so uh, we can do it uh, as well now that's uh, uh, using a CT uh, to, uh, to exactly that position the needle to where it should be. And because we can see the vessels and uh, we can avoid uh, you know, so like, uh, traumatizing the big, uh, big vessels. And also that's um, 
the risk of a pneumothorax is much less because we can see where the uh, the, the pleural the reflection is, so we can avoid them. And now, because of the 3D, you know, it's like a needle position uh, 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 ability, the weekends come in at different angles with the angles that we've never been able to achieve by, you know, it's like uh, by the using conventional CT. So now we can do the different angles. So that makes the, the whole, they open up the next the new level of uh, the procedures that we can do. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. So you really, it's a very exciting uh, profession. Yeah, and you've opened our eyes here in terms of your what you can, uh, how you can apply your professional skills to gastroenterology, to colorectal uh, difficulties, vascular, gynecological, pain management, so forth. Um, well, you know, we're so grateful to have you in the area. Yeah, and that's the first thing I'd like to say. I, I'd also like you just to mention a little bit about where you think the future of the college is going. Well, you, you, you tell us a little bit about that, but, you know, in terms of a young trainee perhaps coming in and thinking about a career, what's the future that you see for this uh, profession? Seems like it's a very bright one, an exciting one to me. Yeah, it is a very, very exciting uh, specialty. That, uh, as I said before, uh, we were there like a dinosaur, but uh, we've never been given the, uh, the, the recognitions of our status. So that as we speak, the, uh, the College of uh, Radiology um, and now they're putting a, a, a request and uh, the, uh, they're trying to push for the subspecialty, the recognitions of the uh, interventional radiology and also neurointerventional radiology. And so that means that, uh, you know, the ones that we get out of subspecialty uh, status are recognized, then uh, there is a certain uh, uh, level of uh, expectation of uh, what we should be doing. And to uh, be frank, we are pretty much a surgical uh, subspecialty sitting within the uh, diagnostic radiology you know, environment. So the, the, the future, the standard of care, uh, um, from our point of view, uh, would be you know, that we will uh, need to uh, review the patients uh, pre-op and, and post-op and manage the patients uh, intraoperatively. And, uh, um, and we uh, we have our bed card to admit patients under our care. So it's, uh, you know, it's like a radiology, uh, intervention radiology is no longer just a, 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 a specialty that provides just the interventional the procedure part. We now become a more uh, complete service from the patients, you know, the consultation, mm -hmm. see the patient in clinic, you know, mm -hmm. like uh, uh, further uh, uh, investi uh, investigations uh, before the surgery and then uh, look after the patient intraoperatively, postoperatively, follow up the patient. So the, if you look at that, that pretty much is a definition of a surgeon, right? So, <laughs> uh, but uh, with the, uh, uh, the the modern technology that's uh, that's uh, coming along, that's uh, you know so the, we are making the oncology treatments uh, you know, that are much more uh, complete with all the other things that we can do now. That uh, patients' recovery is much faster, hospital stays are much shorter, and uh, you name. Yeah. yeah, it's like uh, we can talk about that uh, for hours about the different things that we do. Well, I think it's uh, we're very grateful to have you and the whole college, you know, that that is yeah. that is emerging in interventional radiology. Because I, I think that what you do perhaps hasn't been completely appreciated, but you've gone a long way today to explaining that. Yeah, and so thank you for taking the time to talk to us, and, right. and thank you for your great service. I'm sorry to get out of bed after hours. So <laughs> that sounds tough, but uh, really nice talking to you. Thanks so much again. Right. Thanks for having me. Thank you.
Thank you for joining me in the conversation with Yen and for us to get an insight into this exciting world of interventional radiology. So many procedures and so many amazing outcomes possible. During the podcast series, we will be covering a wide range of topics across many specialty interests. The discussions are not intended as specific medical advice for patients, but as general information only and reflect the opinions of the guests interviewed. Requests for new topics to be reviewed and comments about the conversation you've listened to are welcomed and may be emailed to manager at gihealth.com.au. Thank you.